Thank you. Thank you so very much, um, Christian. Christian is really a Christian. <laughs> and he loves the Lord. I can see that. He, he's really into missions and he has a heart for the Lord. And I'm glad that he has paved the way for me and for other mission organizations to come to your college and bring about mission awareness. In fact, you will agree with me after all the studies. And it is good to study. It's good to know the word of God. It's good to be competent in the word. But at the end of it all, it is important that we impact lives. Lives on this earth that will spend eternity with God. And so that's what missions is all about. And I'm always excited to be around students to bring about mission awareness. Because my own background has been in theological education. As Christian said, after Denver Seminary was sent to Malawi. Malawi is in the southern part of Africa. And... Um, I was involved in theological education, the training pastors and church leaders for the countries of Malawi and Mozambique. My wife was in children's ministry, and we served there for 10 years. We came back here, and the Lord has called us to do this, to cover seven states for our mission. SIM is an old mission organization that was founded in the year 1893, and S-I-M stands for well. One time we went to uh, uh, a church and someone asked uh, my wife and I, and asked, what does S-I-M stands for? I don't know where my wife got the inspiration from that day. And she went, it means send in money. <laughs> but actually S-I-M stands for Sudan Interior Mission but not the country Sudan. That part of Africa in the 1800s, from the west to the east, south of the Sahara, used to be called the Sudan. And that's where our mission targeted the 60 million people with the gospel. And that's where we got our name from, SIM. And today we just call ourselves SIM. SIM have 2,000 missionaries working in over 70 countries, and we come from different nationalities, 60 different nationalities. That's what I like about the mission, because we are very international about what we do. And uh, we serve in Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, Central, and South America. <clears throat> and in every imaginable Christian ministry, we are in church planting, in medicine, education to sports, and community development and children's ministry. In fact, I have some brochures here. I have um, a table just before you get into your uh, cafeteria. And here is a sample of what you would see there. These are brochures that you, you find when you come over. These are for people who are in education and want to teach. We are in different schools around the world. We are also a big medical mission organization, and uh, 
when you pick this up, you see where we are around the world. And all our ministries are also here. Uh, Islam is a big force to reckon with. And uh, you can find something on Islam as you visit. And this talks about our mission. So I would like you, please, to stop by and um, pick up a brochure. I was in Colorado Christian University last week. And I was talking to a class. Uh, My wife wasn't there. My wife was at the table. And I told them that my wife isn't with me here in in the classroom. But she is beautiful. And she is at the table. And if you want to see her, go to the table. Unfortunately, she's not here today. (laughs) You meet me there and you can get some brochures. Let's get into the word of God. Now, let me ask you this question. What really motivates you? And what gets you motivated? What makes you get out of your bed in the morning to go to class or to go to, to work? And most importantly, what lies at the core of that motivation? On what grounds does your motivation stand? Does your motivation stand on a ground that is solid, a ground that is strong and godly? Is your motivation intrinsic or just superficial? What really motivates you about life? Some of us literally will crawl out of bed to get going in the day. But what really gets you jumping out of bed and to do what you're supposed to do? Well, behavior psychologists uh, teach us that motivation represents the reasons for people's actions, desires, and needs. They also say that it is what defines one's direction to behavior or what causes a person to want to repeat a behavior or do the opposite. They tell us that a motive is what prompts a person to act in a certain way or at least develop an inclination for specific behavior. And I would like to add to this. That you see, friends, tasks are fun and meaningful to undertake if the motivation to do them is deeply rooted in godly or ethical convictions. Tasks become fun, becomes meaningful if the, the reason why you undertake those tasks, the motivation, is rooted in something that is ethical or godly. And let me also suggest to you then that, you see, the local outreach, reaching out to people locally and around the world are no exception. So what is your motivation to really go out to the world and to tell them about this great salvation that we have in the Lord. Obviously, you've seen that my message today is titled, What is Your Motivation? And this is the big idea 
of the message today. The incredible salvation that we have received must motivate us to become agents of God's salvation to others. Let me take that again. The big idea of my message today is this. The incredible salvation that we have received must motivate us to become agents of God's salvation to others. Because we have received, we want to give out. And a passage that should serve as one of the compelling motivating factor for us to send out the gospel, I believe it's 1 John chapter 3, 1 to 3. Because it actually teaches the profound truth about the truth about the salvation that we have in Christ. First John chapter three, verse one to three says this says how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I pray that the Lord will use these words of his. The Holy Spirit who watched over the writing of this word and a great teacher would teach us this morning. You see, this part of John's letter to this Christian community sums up the great doctrine of salvation. In fact, in just these three verses, we see the whole spectrum of the doctrine of salvation summed together. In these verses, we see that salvation is three phases or three, uh, three uh, ten, uh, tenses, the past, the present, and the future. We see in this passage that we have been saved. We are being saved. One day we shall be saved. We have been justified. We have been sanctified. One day we shall be glorified. We shall one day be complete and full. And so the incredible salvation that we have received from God must motivate us to become agents of God's salvation to others. Let's look at the past of our salvation. This is what John says. He says that how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. How great that love is. He lavished the love, his love on us. He did not just give that love to us in bits and pieces. He gave his love full and complete, total unto us. How great that is, the love of God. You see, the Greek word agape in the New Testament actually describes God's all loving character as one who feels and acts towards his people. 
He does not only feel love for us, but he does something. That is why we've seen in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world, that is the feeling he felt love for us. Some people really have that feeling and sympathy, and it ends there. But with God, he loved us so much, and that wasn't the end. But he did what? He gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, will not perish. So in God's essential nature, we see that his love is the source of our spiritual blessing. And this great conviction about his love is what Paul says here. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit in writing this word uh, to the Christians in, in Rome. And he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the things present, neither angels nor demons, uh, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And this is huge to really wrap our minds around. Nothing can separate us from this love. That is the great love that he has shown us by sending us his son and giving us this incredible salvation in him. And because it is difficult for us to wrap our minds around this, this is the prayer that Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. And he says that, I pray that you've been rooted and established in love you may have power together with all the saints to gasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. I pray that the Holy Spirit would always every day in our life prompt us again and again to understand this great love. That even we ourselves haven't been loved and saved by him, there is nothing that we can do even to separate ourselves from this great love. Angels nor principalities, powers of darkness cannot do that. That's a great love. And that should motivate us to take this gospel of the God who loves people to others that do not know him. So the incredible salvation that we have received must motivate us to become agents of God's salvation to others. So, that's the past. He has shown us his love. But in this scripture that we have read, the now is that we are called the children of God. Well, and if this were an African congregation, there will be a shout of hallelujah. And they would say amen. That we are now the children of God. We are. You see, there is nothing of any greater value of significance that can happen to a soul on this earth than to be called or to become the child of God. Is there anything of any higher significance than to be called a child of God? And this scripture says that is what we are today. We are the children of God. In fact, we who were by nature objects of God's wrath, we have now been given a new identity. And in almost all the letters that Paul writes, he describes this new identity 
and position that we have in Christ. And let me, tell, and let me give you a few of them. Paul in his writing, he says, we have been justified and completely forgiven. We are free forever from condemnation, Romans 8, 1. We have been bought with a price and we are not our own. We belong to God. We have been made righteous. We have been given the mind of Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth to be holy. We have been made alive together with Christ. We have direct access to God through the Spirit. And I like that because this morning I was able to go before the throne of God and I had access to him. I spoke to him in prayer today because he opened that access for me to do that. And as I walk out, if someone told me that God is dead, I would tell him, no, he's alive. I spoke to him this morning. I have an access to him. And Paul goes on to say that we have been rescued from the domain of Satan's rule and transferred into the kingdom of God. We are members of a chosen race, and I like this. We are royal priests with holy nation, a people of God's own possession. We are a new creation. Is that not beautiful? We are a new creation. We are reconciled to God, and we have become ministers of his reconciliation. That is what we are about. And finally, it says that we have been made complete in Christ. Growing up in Sunday school, one of the songs that really stuck in my mind, in my brain, was this song that had the lyrics saying, complete, complete, complete in him. There is nothing more that I can do for Jesus did it all. And we are complete in him. So this is our new identity. We have been saved. We are his children today. But you see, friends, that's not the end. That's not the end. But there is the future to come. You see, God did not create us for time. He created us for eternity. And our lives here on earth is just to give us the opportunity to be acquainted. I say acquainted. Not really getting to know him fully. To just get a glimpse of who he is. But one day, you see, eternity will have its full dimension as we see him face to face. That is why the Apostle John says here in verse 2, he says, dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him and spend eternity with him. What a joy that is. That this world is not the best place to be. It is not. With all the crisis we go through, with all the the headache, the, the, the diseases, the pain that we go through, if this is all that there is to the Christian life, to this life, then we should be pitied 
among all men. But there is a day that is going to come. A day that is going to come. And God gave a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 21. The first five verses to John the Apostle. And this is what John saw and recorded. And he says then, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. There's going to be a time where he would wipe these tears from our eyes. Some of us might be going through hard times in life. He says there will be no sickness. Those of you who have never suffered malaria from Africa, and when you get mosquito bites and get malaria, it's like you're going to die. He says there will be no sickness, there will be no disease, there will be no death. We'll spend eternity with the Lord. What a glorious hope this is. And so as people of God, you see, we do have hope for today and we have hope for tomorrow. We have been saved. We are being saved. One day we shall be saved and we would spend eternity with our God. And so the big idea again is the incredible salvation that we have received must motivate us to become agents of God's salvation to others. As I bring my message to a close and as a way of application. Now, we have this glorious hope, don't we? We have it now and we have it also for the future. Have you asked yourself how people are coping in this life without Jesus? You see, when we have problems, when we are burdened, when our souls are so depressed, we have somewhere to take our burdens. In fact, he tells us to cast our burdens on him. For he cares for us. Even us. There are difficult times where we cry to the Lord. Have you asked yourself how those that do not have Christ are coping? Do you also know that Joshua Project 
It's a Christian organization that researches into unreached people. They tell us that there are 2.8 billion people today that do not have this hope in Christ. Do you believe that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? You better believe that in a Bible college like this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is Paul's argument. I like Paul because he had great intellect. He's a lawyer by profession. And this is his argument. If we really believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, then, then he asks, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? He goes on to ask, and how can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Oh, I am so happy and encouraged that this noble institution knows that anyone who calls on the name of Christ will be saved. And that is why many of you have been involved in missions both locally and internationally. And I am so grateful for that. Yes, we have been saved and we need to take this message of salvation to others. So let me ask this closing question. What's your motivation? What's your motivation in missions? The answer is simple. The incredible salvation that we have received must motivate us to become agents of God's salvation.